and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have somebody who's probably the smartest guest we've had on the show in a very long period of time. And I try to set a really high bar for the quality of guests I bring on in their intellect, but I think she's going to take it to a whole nother level. Level. Uh, we have none other than Abba Kana. How are you today? I'm doing well. No pressure with that intro. Yeah, no pressure. I mean, no, <laughs> please don't come on this show and underwhelm. Okay. <laughs> So look, we start each one of our shows, we're kind of unique because we ask our guests the same first question. Uh, many times when people hear you or see you, they uh, think you just landed there overnight. So we want to know the arc of your career. And you spent most, almost all of your career practicing law in some form, from clerking to the work you do now with the Elias firm. Walk us through the arc of your career since finishing Yale. What are the Yale Bulldogs? Since being a Yale Bulldog. <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I was a Yale Bulldog for an undergrad. Then I went and taught high school English for three years and went back to become a Yale Bulldog for, for law school. Um, and after, after I clerked in on the DC circuit, then I clerked, uh, here in Seattle, which is where I sit right now. Um, I started with a law firm called Perkins Coie at the time had a political law group. And, uh, we, I, I started in January of 2010. And I very quickly got looped in with Mark Elias. And Mark Elias said, hey, guess what? There's this redistricting cycle that's coming up. Uh, do you know anything about redistricting? I said, no. He says, how about you and I just become super smart about it? And I spent weeks and months basically just learning everything I could possibly learn about the, the law of redistricting, the logistics of redistricting. And we ended up um, litigating multiple states over redistricting maps during last cycle starting as early as uh, I think 2010 in Texas and Nevada and going all the way through the rest of the decade, actually. We were litigating in North Carolina state court and Alabama federal court um, through the end of the decade to 2019. Um, so I I remember I actually went on, uh, I went on maternity leave in um, July of 2012 and we were scheduled to do a trial in Florida, our Florida redistricting case at the time. And uh, and I thought to myself, oh, it's too bad all my redistricting work is going to you know, be gone by the time I come back from maternity leave, because, of course, redistricting just kind of does litigation just happen over the first you know, two years after the census comes out. Um, and then, of course, the rest of the cycle happened. But over the course of the last decade plus, then we've just been doing as part of uh, Mark Elias's group, uh, first at the previous firm and now at uh, Elias Law Group. Uh, I've been focusing, focusing exclusively on voting rights and redistricting litigation, uh, more and more impact litigation. We become uh, our footprint has become bigger, our impact has become larger, and this has become uh, what I do. Before we get into the meat and some cool cases that you guys are, are being quite successful, I mean, you guys just uh, are, are quite successful bunch over there. We have a we have lots of younger lawyers and law students who listen to the show. What's your advice for law students? Um, who are trying to find their passion and the right fit for their uh, passions and their legal careers? You know, I feel very fortunate. I've been able to practice law in an area that I've always been passionate about and do this work every day. I think, it, you know, it's hard. You have to draw a lot of boundaries in order to really try to hone your career the way you want to. Um, and I think you have to be super intentional about it at every turn. But what I always remind law students, this is something my judge in DC told me years ago, um, and, and, and I think of it every day, is that you cannot let your career happen to you. It is something that you need to make happen. And the reason that you work so hard in law school, the reason you get all these fancy degrees, the reason you put in all those hours 
is to be able to become good enough that you can make actual demands of your career and you don't have to feel like, oh, this is what I'm stuck in because it's the next thing, because it's the best thing, because it's the most profitable thing. Um, the reason that you become good and what you do is so that you can actually start calling the shots on, on what it is you do the next time. Uh, before we dive into your casework um, and what's been keeping you busy lately, because there's a lot of it, can you explain to listeners what Elias Law is and why the work you all do is so critical to uh, protecting the little bit of democracy we have left? <laughs> Absolutely. So Elias Law Group is a mission-oriented law firm, which is dedicated to helping citizens vote and progressives make change. We represent a lot of Democratic um, Party committees, national level, at state levels. We represent a lot of Democratic candidates at all levels. We represent a lot of progressive organizations and nonprofits, uh, basically all of us rowing in the same direction when it comes to making progressive change. Um, there are basically two sides to the practice. One is what we call political law, which are the folks who deal primarily with um, advising clients on what they can and cannot do when it comes to, say, putting on a campaign ad, uh, or maybe fighting for those for those issues uh, when they're in the midst of the campaigns, things like that that re require kind of those kind of tax issues and campaign finance issues. And then the other half of the practice is the litigation arm, and that's where I come in. And uh, me and my colleagues, we basically just um, we bring we 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 look for areas where there are voting rights abuses happening. It's from state legislatures, new laws. In my case, we look at a lot of redistricting maps to see. Well, whether or not there are claims there that can be brought on behalf of um, progressive causes, often minority groups, minority voters. Um, and we use the courts uh, and the law to be able to effectuate that change. How many of y'all over there now? Oh, gosh, I think we have we start we started with 50 lawyers less than two years ago in September of 2021. And I believe now we're at about 75 lawyers. Jesus, is Perkins cool? He still exists. I mean, y'all just walked out the door and just went across the street and everybody with you. Anyway, we'll, we'll gossip I'm, about that later. Well, I think ultimately, you know, it's it was a natural evolution because we became, I think, so we became big enough that it just didn't, at some point, it doesn't make sense to have a mission-oriented group in the context of a large corporate law firm. Um, it just, it, it, there are a whole bunch of conflicts there. There's a whole bunch of kind of square peg round hole issues there that I think honestly, it was the best solution for everybody that we're able to kind of be our full selves for our clients, for our teams. So y'all um, didn't all just walk out together at lunch and just. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite. We were a little bit more organized in, uh, than that. And ultimately it was, a, I think a really a positive, um, a positive resolution for, for everybody. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 
So let's talk about the most recent case you had uh, this past Supreme Court term, Moore versus Harper. In layman's terms, what was this case about and what does the outcome of this case mean for everyday people? Well, Moore versus Harper, what it was actually about when we started litigating, it became very different than what it became about once we got to the U.S. Supreme Court. I, so, I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> when we started the case, it was a partisan gerrymandering claim in North Carolina state court against the North Carolina congressional and state legislative maps. These are maps that have been some of the most gerrymandered in the country and unabashedly so. Uh, they are Republican partisan outliers uh, by about you know, 99 percentage points. Like they are, um, these are maps where you have North Carolina, which is very much, as everybody knows, a swing state, a purple state, a 50-50 state. And these maps were drawn to make sure that North Carolina Republicans uh, get 10 or even 11 of the 14 seats delegated to North Carolina, to the North Carolina delegation. So uh, we challenged the map in state court under state constitutional principles, particularly its equal protection clause and its free and equal election clause, saying that it, the North Carolina Constitution does not tolerate these kinds of extreme gerrymanders. And we won. The North Carolina Supreme Court found that it was a partisan gerrymander and that it could not stand and that the plaintiffs were entitled to a remedial map. And uh, we got that. In 2022, the court had uh, adjudicated a remedial map drawing process. We got a new map in place. And despite the fact that the legislature decided, you know, tried to go to the U.S. Supreme Court to, to freeze our victory, to stay our victory so it wouldn't have any effect, for the election, um, Supreme Court said no, and we got uh, a remedial fair map in place for 2022. What happened after that is a little bit more, <laughs> more murky. Um, you know, two, I think basically what happened, the, the Republican legislature had a two-pronged appeal at that point. One is they took advantage of the fact that in November of 2022, an, an election happened at the state Supreme Court and the composition of the state Supreme Court changed and it became uh, more conservative and more favorable to the Republicans. They sought rehearing of our win and ultimately achieved rehearing and, and got a reversal of our win. And now the state Supreme Court has since found that the opinion that they had previously issued was, lo and behold, wrong. Turns out there's nothing wrong, nothing, no, there's no way that the North Carolina Constitution actually does prohibit partisan gerrymandering. And um, the Republican legislature is good to gerrymander as it sees fit, at least not prescribed by any of the, the principles that we articulated from the North Carolina Constitution against uh, undue partisan favoritism. Um, while that appeal was pending, uh, they also appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which even though it refused to stay the case for 2022, decided to hear the case uh, in 2023. And the theory they posited there really had nothing to do with North Carolina law or even the map itself. It was, a, this, it was on this theory called the independent state legislature theory, saying that uh, because the U.S. election, the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution charges state legislatures with regulating federal elections in the first instance, state courts have no business applying state constitutional principles to rein in state legislatures when state legislatures draw congressional maps or frankly do anything that come that relates to federal elections. If that sounds like a crazy theory, um, that 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 it, it's because it is, right? If, if my uh, my fourth grader who learns about the three branches of government and checks and balances uh, understood and understands that 
uh, legislatures cannot have and do not have unchecked power under our tripartite system of government. But basically that's what they were asking for in its most extreme form. That got litigated all the way to the US Supreme Court. There's been a whole bunch of procedural issues about how much that case is even still live in light of what happened in the North Carolina Supreme Court where they essentially overturned the victory that we'd had. Um, but ultimately, uh, in the last couple of weeks, the U.S. Supreme Court came down with an opinion saying, uh, dis discrediting the independent state legislature theory as it should have. Um, and it's a crackpot theory. That's exactly what it was. It's a crackpot theory that, frankly, should never have gotten the oxygen that it has gotten. Um, and I'm grateful to the extent that we've been able to extinguish some of the momentum of that that crackpot theory. I read a, I, there was a great in-depth piece on it in uh, The Atlantic, I believe. And respectfully, you only won. I mean, I don't know what you and Mark were doing, but you only won seven of the nine justices, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, we've been busy. No, it was a, it was a it was a good few weeks at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, so yeah. we're, we're glad that they held for. I mean, sorry. Let me caveat that. It was a good few I weeks for like, voting yeah. rights at the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, that, that, and, you got to be right. narrowly, narrowly, narrowly tailor that statement. Exactly. Um, we, we take the wins where we can, and we understand that there's always another, there's always some defeat around the corner. I know. I really want to talk about Alabama and the Allen v. Milligan case. Same as above. What does this case mean for everyday people? And what does this mean, particularly for Black folks in Southern states and states like Ohio, who are often packed into district where our voting power is diluted? Yeah, absolutely. The Alabama case that we brought was a, was a claim under the Voting Rights Act that said Alabama seven district map violates the Voting Rights Act by, by diluting the Black vote, cracking Black voters uh, among three districts so that they can't have any uh, say in political in elections there and packing them into one single district. So that Alabama, since 1992, has had only one out of seven districts in which Black voters have the opportunity to elect their candidates of choice, even though they are now nearly 30% of the population in Alabama. We brought a claim that is really, um, you know, textbook under the Voting Rights Act jurisprudence that said that can't be allowed under the Voting Rights Act. There, uh, The Black population in Alabama is large enough and geographically compact enough that they should be a majority in a new district. There is extreme racial polarized voting in Alabama, meaning that blacks and whites are voting for completely opposite candidates and completely opposite interests. And um, unless they're in the majority, they get defeated by white preferred candidates and marry that with a host of kind of on the ground, social, political, contemporary, historical reality of life, of racial relations and racial politics, uh, and that creates a, a, a Voting Rights Act violation. We won. We won that at the district court. We won that claim before the 2022 election. And in January of 2022, we had three federal judges tell us that uh, we were right on the Voting Rights Act claim and that we were entitled to a remedy map in time for 2022. And that would have been a plus, a, plus, a, a district for plus one for minority uh, voters in Alabama a second district for the 2022 election. The Republican state of Alabama, the Republican led state of Alabama appealed that victory to the US Supreme Court. And they asked for a stay of our verdict until the court would hear it. And in February of 2022, the Supreme Court granted that stay. Um, and they issued, Justice Kavanaugh issued a, a, a concurring opinion that said, well, the reason we're doing this, or at least the reason he was doing this was because of the timeline. It was just too close to the November election and the May primary for us to get the relief that we had asked for. 
Notwithstanding. Democracy and justice needed to wait a little while. Needed to wait a little while, notwithstanding the fact that we filed our lawsuit the very day that the governor signed the bill into law, and notwithstanding the fact that we all rushed to a preliminary injunction trial in the course of a month or so. Um, Basically, free pass. Free pass to violate the law, even though that's what the court found. So this goes up on appeal. So 2022, that that was actually, that was obviously a, a, a hit that we didn't actually get our win in place for 2022. The court then proceeded to hear the case. Uh, we argued that case last October. And what Alabama's theory was, was, you know, we really are, we've moved beyond this, this Voting Rights Act thing. Uh, we should be focusing on more race-blind evidence, more of a race-blind solution in this post-racial era. Alabama might have had some heinous abuses when it comes to race relations and voting rights in the past, but those are all um, dead and gone. And we should, therefore, we should totally change the legal standard of this otherwise textbook case. And what we came in with was like, no, actually, the law is what it is. The court has been clear about what that law is for the last 40 years. And there's no reason to diverge from that precedent. And um, uh, several weeks ago, uh, the Supreme Court handed down an opinion in our favor. Um, And the interesting thing about, frankly, about both this and the North Carolina case is we were the voting rights plaintiff seeking real change when it came to practical practical maps, practical voting rights for minorities and progressive voters. The Republican defendants were the ones asking for some really novel theories. Let's, you know, throw out the textbook on Voting Rights Act law. Let's let's redo the way we've been doing elections for the last 250 years, you know, when it comes to this independent state legislature theory. They were the ones pushing for these really revolutionary ideas. And what the Supreme Court did in both of these opinions, frankly, what Chief Justice Roberts did in both of these opinions, where it was issue relatively uh, un- outrageous, un- unexciting opinion saying, yeah. you know, applying the law to the facts. Uh, there's really nothing um, too ex- too interesting about these opinions other than the fact they just adhere to precedent. And maybe in today's world where we've kind of braced ourselves for the worst, um, adhering to the status quo and adhering to precedent and our expectations, um, is, is a very big deal. And certainly we, we understand to be a very significant victory. A couple more questions before I let you go. One of the things that I've been talking about since I was on our sub- redistricting subcommittee in South Carolina back in 2010 and drew the maps and our case went all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, is the unholy alliance between Black politicians, both on the state level and congressional level, in drawing these lines and Republicans, because Republicans, uh, they're, they're not doing this alone. Many times, uh, they want to give away black voters and many times black elected officials, because our number one goal when you're elected is self-preservation, want uh, more black voters in their district um, without getting in any trouble. How much of the bad maps you see is because of this unholy alliance? In the states where we're litigating, for the most part, Republicans have had um, near uniform control and certainly control of the legislature. And the fact, yes, yes, there often are, they're often trying to broker deals with Black Democrats to be able to say, we'll keep you safe, but we'll kind of, uh, at the expense of the Democratic Party as a whole. And I I have to say, I don't, I don't blame the Black legislators who kind of get looped into these things, because at the end of the day, they have, the Democrats and their caucus have no power as a whole. The Republicans can completely steamroll them when it comes to exercising their political will and or gerrymandering the map to the farthest extremes. 
Um, so the, I don't I don't fault them their efforts to preserve their seats, preserve the interests of their specific voters. Um, and I think that what victories like what we've seen in Alabama do is, I hope, allow legislators across the South and frankly across the country to step back and say, you know what, where there actually is a path to fairness, there's a path to justice, and there's a path to victory here. If we can kind of all rally around the right answer and the law. And it's going to be a bit of a mental shift, right? These are people, these are legislators who are so used to being in what, what essentially is a super minority in some states. So used to being the best you're going to get is this little morsel, this little parcel for you and for your constituents. And we are now in a position where we are can demand more than the morsels and the parcels. We can demand the cake and we can demand our right to the, a seat at the, at the table for this um, for all of these political and policy issues. Um, and that does, that requires everyone to kind of shift their mindset and think in more holistic terms. Um, but that's exactly what this kind of litigation is meant to inspire and meant to do and meant to, meant to help. Yeah, that's a great answer. How much have election deniers made your life more difficult? Good question. They made my life very interesting, particularly in 2020. In the post-election of 2020, we litigated some 60 cases um, uh, to defend the, the election as it took place. You saw less of it in 2022, although I did spend my Christmas Eve in uh, Arizona litigating against Carrie Lake, who I believe is still litigating there. She's, um, the, gov she's the governor of Arizona. I, depending on who you ask, I guess that's right. Um, I think what we learned, I mean, here's what I would hope. Through the, the the courts have held firm on these election denial kit claims that you know they're not going to tolerate this. And what I think is that voters are kind of tired of it too. I don't think it's a winning strategy politically, and it's definitely not a winning strategy um, legally. Um, so I'm hoping we have we're seeing the last gasps of that. Uh, maybe that's a bit a little a little Pollyanna-ish in light of the upcoming presidential election. Um, but you know. We've just all what what I've learned most from again both of these Supreme Court opinions is there will always be debate which map is better whether you should be allowed to do this and not that when it comes to your interests or my interests but as long as we can all play by the same playbook you know understand that these are the rules of the road and the rules of the game we can at least keep that conversation um, you know civilized or you know in a way that in a way that I think our justice system and our political system demands when when the when certain states and defendants are asking for radical theories and you know let's throw out the election and all the fraud we're just dealing in different realities and as long as we can continue to to litigate in the same reality and to operate in the same reality and now that reality has been kind of firmly established at least for voting rights in the US Supreme Court I think that's ultimately to our to our benefit. I love having you on the show. I'm going to bring you back. Can you tell people how to follow you on social media and the work you do with the Elias Group? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, Elias Law Group has its is it has its uh, LinkedIn and Twitter handle. Mark Elias. I'm sure everyone's familiar. Follow him on on Twitter. Follow me um, on Twitter. Um, I think I'm Abacana dash one at Twitter. And I have to say, I'm not, I'm not a huge on Twitter uh, myself, but I'm going to, maybe I'll defer this question to Blake and to the people who, who are better equipped to, to handle the Twitter verse, but we're very much out there. We're very much um, 
actively working at all times, even in, even not in the Supreme Court, even not in all the headline grabbing cases to help voters um, at every level. So we are excited for everyone's interest and support and let's keep on the fight. Abakana, thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. It was a pleasure. My pleasure, thank you. It's gonna be